Hello, I'm Dr. Annalene Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, my colleague and fellow dental legal consultant, Dr. Kieran Keshwara, is going to explore the concept of herodontics. Yeah, great title, Kieran. So let's start off. What do you actually mean by herodontics? Thanks, Annalie. When I say herodontics, I'm talking about those patients that we've all treated where the patient comes in and asks us to do particular treatment that we maybe don't think is going to work or is likely to have significant complications because we cannot provide it due to a lack of experience or training, or maybe it isn't in the patient's long-term interests. When we agree in good faith to provide the treatment, oftentimes against our better judgment, this is what I would call herodontics. Yeah, that's a fair definition, Kieran. So can you give me an example of herodontics? Sure. In broad terms, we may be providing treatment that is likely to fail on a tooth with a hopeless prognosis, or providing treatment that is outside our scope of practice and probably should have been referred to a specialist or to a more experienced colleague with more training. As you could imagine, there they can be quite a range. Let me give you an example. Say you have a patient who comes in to see you because their 2-4, in their words, has crumbled. You get them in and assess them, you take an x-ray, and you can see that the tooth is carious below the gingival level. You estimate that there's less than 40% of the clinical crown remaining and it looks like the caries is very close to the pole, although fortunately the patient isn't currently experiencing any pain. What's our thought process here? Can you picture what you might do here given this clinical presentation? Without going into the specifics of the clinical aspects because there are plenty of clinicians out there who are fantastic at what they do, I think we should be thinking about a few things such as if we carry out the remedial treatment, ultimately, is the tooth restorable? We know it's carious with margin subgingival and less than half the tooth remains. Or what can we do to improve the chances of long-term success with any treatment? Should we consider crown lengthening to improve the restorability? Or maybe does the tooth need further treatment before we attempt to restore it? For example, does it need preemptive root canal treatment or periodontal treatment? As you can see from a very brief consideration of something that most of us have seen before, there's a lot of things that should be going through our minds. And without doubt, most, if not all of these things, plus more, will be considered by us prior to providing any treatment. I think in herodontics, we can fall into the trap of thinking, or hoping even, that these factors won't affect us, and our patients and the treatment we provide will be successful and without any complications. In other words, we're playing the hero. Although, of course, often with incredibly good intentions. Of course. And many practitioners practice heroically because they genuinely want to try everything to help the patient. Perhaps for someone who tells us that their budget is limited and we, we're persuaded by the patient to help them. Other dentists sometimes may feel intimidated by a patient who's maybe a bit too pushy and so you find it difficult to say no, especially when that patient is telling you to just do the treatment and is ignoring the risks and warnings that they've already been given by you. Yeah, I think we've all been pushed into treatment as practitioners, and certainly when we were younger practitioners, for sure. And this can be really pronounced if we're frightened of the consequences of saying no to that patient. Yeah, agreed. But the key message here is that 
we do also need to think about the consequences of saying yes. If we consider another example, perhaps the extraction of a lower wisdom tooth, maybe we've taken an OPG and we can see that the roots appear to be close to the ID canal, but instead of considering a CBCT to make sure where the roots lie or maybe referring the patient on to a specialist, we go ahead and extract the tooth anyway. As we have seen many times before, these patients can end up with paresthesia, which can be devastating for the patient and for us. We mustn't forget that a significant adverse outcome such as this for the patient can have an equally devastating impact on the practitioner too. So can you set out for us the risks involved in playing the hero and providing treatment that we think may fail or may have complications? As you know, Annalene, there are plenty of risks involved with herodontics. We could consider these broadly as risks to the patients and risks to us. First and foremost, we need to consider the risk to the patient. The treatment may fail. Maybe that filling that we provided in the 2-4 comes out a few weeks later and the patient comes back with more of the tooth lost. Another thing to consider is what if the patient who wasn't previously in pain when they first came to see us now presents with pain in the tooth and, fairly or unfairly, considers that the only reason that they are now in pain is because of the treatment we provided. These patients may be more likely to make a complaint about us. And with treatment that has a high risk of complications, if we do not or have not considered all the risks involved, there's a high chance that something will go wrong. And ultimately, if something does go wrong and we cannot show that we've considered all the risks involved and discussed them in detail with the patient, we are making ourselves a very big target. Yeah, while many of the listeners will understand all that you've said, Kieran, I do feel that some may be asking the quite reasonable question, well, what if the patient's not interested in any of that and says, just fix the tooth there and then? This can be a really difficult situation, can't it? And I know it's one that most of us will find ourselves in at some point in our career. Maybe the patient doesn't want to spend more time or money on the tooth and is hoping for a quick fix. Or maybe they're going away on a holiday and plan to get the tooth fixed once they're back from holiday. Or maybe even get the tooth fixed while they are on holiday. In these cases, the patient may refuse to see a specialist and so we may feel pressured to provide treatment. Again, often against our better judgment. We need to sit down with the patient and explain what our findings and assessments are. We should then talk to the patient about all the treatment options, including the risks involved and the chances of failure of treatment. Of course, these discussions need to be carefully documented and we need to ensure we have checked the patient's understanding. As you know, if we have properly educated the patient and they go ahead with treatment, fully aware of the risks involved and understanding that the treatment may fail, we may, and I want to emphasize may, be able to provide that quick fix. As with everything, the patient needs to understand that the treatment has a higher chance of failure. In the other example we spoke about earlier, talking about taking out lower wisdom teeth, yes, there is a chance of failure, but worse than that, there's a risk of an adverse outcome, such as paresthesia. It's a tough ask to explain to a third party, such as the dental board or a lawyer who's looking to sue you, why you provided treatment despite knowing or considering the significant risks to the patient. In these situations, we should remember that even if the patient consents to treatment, it does not necessarily mean that the treatment is appropriate or that we should be providing it ourselves. We have to remember to keep the patient's best interests in mind. And even if the patient may disagree, sometimes no treatment and a referral may be in their best interests. Yes, it may. 
But wouldn't it be fair to say, though, Kieran, that all treatment we provide has a chance of failure? Yeah, I think that's fair, and I agree with that for sure. And I tell my patients that the best thing for them is if I never have to touch their teeth, because otherwise they may end up with a never-ending spiral of complex treatment needs. You know, a small filling becomes a bigger filling, becomes an even bigger filling, which becomes a crown, which may need root canal treatment as well. I think what we need to consider really is whether the treatment we're proposing has a greater chance of failure than would be considered reasonable. For example, a small, simple occlusal in that 2-4 has a much greater chance of success than a large MODB restoration with subgingival margins. And while I agree that with improving materials and contemporary techniques, the chances of success are higher nowadays, I think we should still be quite pragmatic and realistic in our assessment of the treatment options we provide to patients. And that's not to say we should not explain the treatments available to our patients. Of course we should. What we really need to consider is whether we're the right person to provide that treatment. So is there any time then when herodontics may be considered appropriate? That's a really good question. And there are some circumstances where we can play the hero as such, but these come with a few conditions. For example, we may see in a number of our patients, especially the elderly or medically compromised, that certain treatments are contraindicated, such as extractions for a patient on bisphosphonates. Naturally, it may not be feasible for a patient to see an endodontist or a periodontist to try and save a tooth for many reasons, not least for finances. And maybe the patient really wants to save that tooth because it's an important tooth for them. Maybe it's an abutment for their denture or bridge. Maybe you're practicing in a regional or country area where the closest specialist is an eight-hour drive away. So referral of a patient to that specialist is just simply logistically not possible. Sometimes provided the patient with a short-term fix, even if the prognosis is guarded, may give them time without financially overburdening them to consider all the options available for longer-term success. Maybe in these cases it may be appropriate to consider trying to save the tooth or attempt that extraction, but only after a very thorough discussion with the patient. Yeah, the discussion's critical, isn't it? So what should we be discussing with our patients in these cases, Kieran? There are a few things that we need to talk to our patients about, and our discussion with patients should include the available options, including the option of doing nothing, the risks and benefits of each of these options, including the costs involved in the various options, and what may happen in terms of costs if the treatment were to fail. And we should really be highlighting the low chances of success or high risk of an adverse outcome of the proposed heroic treatments. And Maybe we should be talking to the patient also about whether they should be referred to a specialist to provide the treatment. Ultimately, we want to educate the patients by giving them as much information as possible to allow them to understand the treatment proposed so they can understand what we are doing, why we're doing it, and what could possibly go wrong with the treatment. Thanks, Kieran. We've previously discussed the option we have of saying no to our patients. And I think when we're faced with a treatment that's likely to fail or have significant adverse outcomes, knowing how to say no is really important. So are there any other tips that you'd like to give us? Yeah, that's definitely true. And as hard as it can be, sometimes saying no to providing treatment for a patient may be in their best interest. It's really important to bear this in mind for treatments that have high risk of an adverse outcome. Along with that, I'd like to add that we need to make sure that a patient's expectations are managed from the outset. If we find that we are having to provide treatment to a patient, 
highlight to them that it may be a short-term solution. I tend to highlight this to patients and even ask them to pay a minimal fee for the work. In other words, I wouldn't be charging them my normal fees because of the high risk of failure. We should avoid feeling pressured to provide treatment that has a low chance of success as ultimately it can result in a disappointed patient who may then attribute their future issues to the treatment you had provided. Yeah, that's a really important point, isn't it, Kieran? Because as we've discussed, some practitioners will embark on herodontics not because they actually want to, but because they're somewhat afraid of the patient's response if they don't. Yeah. And this is where a second opinion from a colleague to support you in not moving forwards with the treatment can be really helpful. Although in these difficult discussions, it is really important to back yourself. As with all the discussions we have around treatment and the clinical side of dentistry, our records are a main defence in case of a complaint, investigation or a claim for compensation. And I would argue that when we have patients who want treatment with a high chance of failure or an adverse outcome, we really should be even more thorough with our record keeping. Yeah, it always comes back to records, doesn't it, somewhere? Sure does. So thanks, Kieran, for that relevant and helpful content. And thank you all for listening. We do hope this podcast was helpful to you and we look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection Podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.